Um, so if you would, let's first put God's word before us uh, before we start this morning. Let's stand once again in honor of God's word. We'll read this together. First Peter chapter 1, it's verses 11 and 12. This is the word of the living God. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among, among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we now turn our attention to your word with the word still ringing in our minds and our hearts, all glory be to Christ. I pray that that would be what happens this morning now as we teach and preach your word, that Christ would be glorified. We pray that that would happen by all of our minds and our hearts being opened and laid bare before you, that your eyes would see us, that you would see if there is any grievous way within us. Convict us of our sin by the Spirit. Cleanse us of our sin by the blood of Christ. And please cause us to walk away from this place knowing what this text means, what it's saying, what you're calling us to, and to live that way by the power of the Holy Spirit. May Christ be glorified as his word is proclaimed. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You can be seated. As you know, Gabby and I are expecting, by God's grace, a little one at the end of December. And there are times when I see the state of the world, the aggressive downward spiral of the culture, that I am tempted to fear what my child is going to be born into. I was reminded of this afresh this past week as I came across a, a video that's making its rounds on the internet that was from the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus. It's a song entitled, A Message from the Gay Community. The song appears to be done and recorded in a sarcastic, tongue-in-cheek sort of way, but we need only look at what is transpiring in our world to see that there is indeed truth behind what they're saying. A few lyrics from the song, quote, We'll convert your children. Happens bit by bit, quietly and subtly, and you will barely notice it. Just like you're worried, they'll change their group of friends. You won't approve of where they go at night, and you'll be disgusted when they start learning things online that you keep far from their sight. Then the whole chorus begins to sing, we are coming for them, we are coming for your children, end quote. Several pastors in Canada 
our supposedly friendly neighbors to the north, have been arrested and spent several weeks, some a couple of months, in jail over the past half of the year. Why? Because they made the right choice of defying public health orders in regards to COVID-19 that would keep the whole church from gathering together. And they carried on with their services as normal. In other words, they were pastoring their church. Though many protests and various events took place in large gatherings that were not in line with these supposed health orders, it was the pastors who found themselves in jail. Think about that. Now we could go on and on and on, but the point that I am making this morning is that we live in a world that is increasingly hostile against Christians because it is indeed a sinful world. And we can deny it if we want. We can turn a blind eye to it. But truthfully, we would only be fooling ourselves. This world is against our faith. It is because it's a sinful world. Now, our tendency can be one of at least two options. It can be one that we would want to retreat. Let's just go live on the side of a mountain and have a a private Christian community where we won't be bothered by the world. That would not be the right response. Another temptation would be to hide our beliefs, to not be outspoken against the evil that is in the world, to not call people to repentance, to not speak clearly where Scripture has clearly spoken. But the reality is that we have been called as Christians to be a light in the midst of darkness. We have been called to be blameless and pure in a crooked and perverse generation in which we shine as lights in the world. So then we do not retreat, we do not hide, but we advance into battle. Last week, Josh walked us through verses 9 In 10 of this chapter, where we saw that the reason that we have been so richly, spiritually blessed in Christ is not so that you could come to church and feel good about yourself, but it is so that we would proclaim the excellencies of Him who saved us. That's why we sing songs like, All glory be to Christ, because it's truly about Him. Your justification was brought about by Christ for the proclamation of Christ. Keep in mind that this proclamation is to be taking place in the midst of a world that is hostile to the proclamation. In other words, you are proclaiming things that the world does not want to hear. But we proclaim anyway Because we are undeserving of God's mercy and grace. We're not better than anyone. We are undeserving sinners. But we are saved sinners. Proclaiming to lost sinners. But however, what good is it for us to proclaim how good this God is? How marvelous our new life in Christ is? How heinous 
Sin is if our conduct does not bear witness to what we proclaim. In other words, we talk the talk, but we don't walk the walk. If you've read ahead in our chapter, which I always encourage you to do, you know that towards the end of this chapter, into chapter 3, that Peter is going to be engaging in some very practical exhortation regarding how we are to live in this world, how we are to live as saved sinners in a sinful world. He will deal with our conduct as it relates to the government uh, between husbands and wives and then amongst the brethren. Today's passage then, as we read, you can see for yourself that this is sort of an introduction to the following practical exhortation. Let's read it one more time. You don't have to stand. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We want to start with our first heading today, which is Sojourners and Exiles. Peter is addressing his, his audience as, Beloved, beloved, I urge you. He is reiterating his great love for those who are reading this letter. With the use of this phrase, I urge you, he is introducing a new section of ethical and moral teaching. Whereas we have been learning of the doctrinal and theological foundations of our salvation, we are now turning to be exhorted in regards to the practical outworking of this salvation. How does it play out in our lives? What does this mean now for how we are to live? This is a strong word, meaning that he's exhorting them. He is earnestly appealing to them to do as he is about to say. Peter reminds his audience of what he said in the opening of the letter. There he called them the elect exiles in the dispersion. And now he says sojourners and exiles. In doing so, what is Peter doing if not reminding us that we are not of this world? He's about to turn his attention to exhort us of how to live in this world and he first does so by reminding us, you are not of this world. You are to be here as a sojourner, as an exile, as one who is just passing through. We do live here temporarily, of course. But it is among a people who should have a completely different culture than we do. For we are citizens of a different world, namely heaven. The world looks at us as bizarre, and indeed it ought to. The world ought to see a difference in how we live and how they live. This is not our home. This is merely a place where we have set up camp until the Lord brings us to the proverbial promised land. How are we to live? How are we to conduct ourselves during the time of our sojourning, of our exile. As I said a bit ago, and as you all well know already, Gabby and I spent a week away on vacation in Colorado. We were in smaller mountain towns at first. 
which we thoroughly enjoyed. And then the second half of the trip was spent in Denver. Now, I have no personal axe to grind against the city of Denver, but it was just not really our speed. We really realized how different it is living in West Texas, where it takes 15 minutes to get everywhere, where people drive for, you know, we have streets where you go 45, not 80 everywhere. And it's just a different pace, a different lifestyle, cars everywhere, people everywhere, quite the opposite of living here. We could readily identify the tremendous difference in our culture between the culture that we are accustomed to and how they live there. We saw pride flags hanging from many of the businesses in the downtown area, even a few churches that were flying the flag. One church had a huge Black Lives Matter sign out front, which is well documented as being a group that is truly godless and fueled by Marxist ideologies. It's not conspiracy theory, that is documented fact. Even ordering at a restaurant was different, as many establishments are sensitive to people who have food allergies. Now, that's not a wrong thing to do. It's just different. On all of the menus, there was a bunch of codes under all the different meals for different types of allergies. If you have this kind of allergy, don't eat this. If you have that sort of allergy, don't eat that. In other words, we were there as strangers and aliens in the city. We didn't just all of a sudden conform to the way that Denver lives. We were there just for a time. And then we would eventually be coming back home. We dressed different. We spoke different. We even drove different than the citizens of the area. And we didn't adopt their culture because we have our own. Folks, that's how we are to view our stay on this earth. We should be strangers and aliens to how people who live in this world live. We live as strangers, as sojourners, as the you're not from around here kind of people. We're not to adopt the values and the practices of this godless culture or engage in their pagan ways of living and thinking. We are sojourners and exiles. I think the problem is, is that we find too many professing Christians who feel right at home in this type of culture. Israel was warned of this as they were poised to head into the promised land in Deuteronomy chapter 2. When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to dispossess, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, take care that you be not ensnared to follow them. After they have been destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire about their gods, listen carefully, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? That I also may do the same. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For... Every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. But you, everything that I command you, 
you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. That was Deuteronomy 12, 29 through 32. My friends, we are not the Israelites. We are not about to head in to dispossess a land. But spiritually speaking, we are sojourners and exiles in this land. So such is the case for us today. We live among a people who invent new ways to sin against the Lord and put into practice abominable forms of worship that are not pleasing to God. As Paul said in Philippians 3.20, we are citizens of heaven. The point that Peter is going to be making here then is to live like it. Live as though you are a citizen of heaven, if indeed you are. I urge you as sojourners and exiles not to adopt the practices, not to think the same way. Not to treat people the same way. Not to think of love the same way the residents of the domain of darkness do. In other words, you must abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. This is our second heading. Peter is dealing with this internal war from the second half of verse 11. Abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. To abstain is to keep away from something. It's translated this way five different times in the New Testament. And three out of those five times, he is specifically referring to keeping away from sinful desire. And that helps us to see that these passions of the flesh that Peter is referring to, this isn't neutral. It's not just passion in general. We all know that having passion is a good thing. It is a good thing to be passionate for the Lord our God. But that's not the kind of passion that he's speaking of here. He's talking about sinful desires. In telling his readers to abstain, there is a presupposition here that we have the ability to abstain to resist, to refrain from engaging the passions of our flesh. Sometimes people like to say, maybe this is you. I can't help it. It's just the way I am. And it's usually in reference to some sort of sinful characteristic or habit that we have. And to that sort of response, Peter would say, if you've been brought into this chosen race, this royal priesthood, if you've been made a part of God's own chosen people, then yes, absolutely, you can help it. But further, you must. You must abstain from the passions of your flesh. Not only do we experience a pressure to conform to the culture from without, we also have this battle that rages within us. In regards to these passions of the flesh, as I stated a bit ago, this is not a neutral phrase. These aren't just passions in general, but specifically passions of our, sin, our sinful desires. Peter is referring to sinful desires of our fleshly human nature that, get this, we each have. Every single one of us 
Now, your, particularly, your particular fleshly passions might not look like mine or like the persons sitting next to you, but you do have them. This is why Peter says, which wage war against your soul. He doesn't say which wage war against the church or against establishments, but against your soul. In other words, this is deeply personal. Peter also doesn't say if you're the kind of person who still has passions of the flesh, then you are to abstain from them. Does anyone's translation read that way? I hope not. No, the assumption here is that we all have them. We all must abstain from them if we are to be faithful sojourners. And the thing about these passions is that they take place within us. This war that Peter speaks of happens below the surface and no one around you might ever know about it. You might do a great job of putting on a Christian facade while internally this battle with sin is waging and it is burning hot. But you know who sees it is God because he searches our heart. None of us are hidden from him. This is why Peter's order of delivery of this exhortation has been as it has. He started with first laying the groundwork of who we are in Christ. And as he turns to exhort us on to godly living in front of godless people, he first begins with the matters of the heart. The passions of the flesh that wage war against your soul. See, we could perhaps keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable. We could put on a, a good show. But are the passions of the flesh winning the war against your soul? See, Peter didn't just say, to be a good Christian, you have to look like it. He says, to be a good Christian, you must live like it. In your heart of hearts. How about you this morning? Have you been on the losing end of the battle against the passions of your flesh? Maybe this week, maybe this morning. Let's turn quickly to Galatians chapter 5. You've all heard of the fruits of the Spirit, but the lesser-known fruits of the flesh are here. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to start at verse 17, and then we're going to skip down to verse 19, simply for the sake of time. Verse 17, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Listen carefully, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit 
the kingdom of God. Church, we could, any one of us could probably close our eyes and reach into that list and find something that is waging war against our soul. But do you see what he says in verse 17, that the desires of the flesh are against the spirit? Or as Peter writes it, they are waging war against your soul. We see here the works of the flesh. So the passions of the flesh would be the desires to do these things. You know, we can sin with just our desires. Jesus said to love him with our, all our mind and our heart. That's where your desires are coming from. These desires are waging war within you. These sinful desires hate the righteousness of God. And the desire of the flesh is the complete opposite of a desire to submit to the Lord. These desires, both of the flesh and of the spirit, they are diametrically opposed to one another. And if the flesh wins, you will not follow the desires of the spirit. And you will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is black and white, isn't it? There's no gray area here. You're either pleasing and, and, and following the desires of the Spirit, or you're gratifying the flesh's desires. Who can possibly then defeat these desires if they wage an invisible war against my soul? Look at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and here's your hope. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You won't. If you walk according to the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. My friend, are you struggling with sin this morning? Walk according to the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of your flesh. Commune with Christ, as we talked about in Sunday school. Open your Bible. Sit down in a quiet place and read and pray before you, the Lord your God. Commune with Him. Tell Him, I am struggling with this sin and I hate it. Take it from me, please. The Lord loves to answer the prayer of sanctification. You might not get the Mercedes Benz you're praying for, but you can bet your life that if you're praying to be more, made more like Christ, you're going to get that prayer answered. If you're just struggling with sin, then walk according to the Spirit. What's another way of saying that? Walk by the Spirit so that you may abstain from the passions of the flesh. In Romans 13, 14, Paul writes it this way. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. To gratify its desires. What's the difference between sinners who are lost in the world and sinners who are made alive in Christ? Is that we put on Christ so that we may not any longer fulfill the desires that wage war against our soul. Those who are lost in the world, there is no war. This is just how they live. And such were some of you. 
As a matter of fact, every one of us who is in Christ this morning, we all have a past where we can point to and say, this is when I was dead in Christ. Sin ruled my life. But thanks be to God that he has brought me from death to life. Remember that from the last two passages in 1 Peter, that if you are in Christ, you are a member of a whole new people. You are set apart. You are cleansed. You are gifted with the Holy Spirit. And because of the inner working of the Spirit in your life, you now have the ability and the power to abstain from the passions of your flesh. Hallelujah. Though they wage war against you daily, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. This is all the more important as we are living as sojourners and exiles for our witness before a watching world is on the line. One of the very popular things to say today is, you Christians are so judgmental. You Christians are so intolerant. You Christians are so this and so that and the other. No, it's not judgment. We were sinners lost in our sin too. We are pleading with lost sinners, be reconciled to Christ. Flee from the wrath to come. We didn't make this up. God has been around for a very long time. We don't want to live for the approval of man, but of God. And when we live in a manner pleasing to the Lord, we are living lives that proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness. To abstain from the passions of the flesh is indeed to live as a stranger and alien in the land. Because a world lost in sin does not abstain from the passions of the flesh. Lastly, three, the external witness. Verse 12, back in 1 Peter Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let us once again note the progression that Peter has worked through. He first reminds the believers of who they are in Christ. Then he spoke of the internal war and the importance of fighting sin internally. And then he moved to keeping our visible conduct among the Gentiles honorable. If we reverse that order, my friends, we get legalism. If we start with first, the first thing you need to do to get your life in order is to keep your conduct honorable. And then you need to work really hard on your heart. And then Christ will make you a part of his people. No, that's legalism. That is Depending on your own self-righteousness, many have tried and none have succeeded. We first are made part of Christ's people. We are transformed. We are given a new nature. And then we wage war against that which wages war against us. And we put to death the deeds of the body. And then it works its way out into our visible conduct. We try to be all outward works to ex and expect to change the heart. We will be left sadly disappointed. And it's a real danger for us because we are prone to self-righteousness. And as such, we have to remember and recognize that we are only living out in front of the watching world what is the reality of what God has done within us. God did it. Not me. Not you. 
God has done it. This is walking worthy in a wayward world. Here in verse 12, let's look first at the direction that Peter gives us. Keep your conduct honorable. We've spoken before of this word Gentile that it used to refer to non-Jews. But now in the New Testament sense, it's referring to non-believers. So he's saying to keep your conduct among non-believers honorable. Anyone in here, show of hands, ever around non-believers? I sure hope so, because we need to let our light shine in front of non-believers. So those are the people that Peter has in mind here, in front of those people, the non-believers. You see, Christ told us that we are to be as lights in this world. We understand that the world that is living in sin is in darkness. Guess what? Light stands out in the dark. Light pierces through darkness. I think Gabby's favorite habit that I have is first thing in the morning when her eyes are barely opening that I turn the light on. She wakes up every morning and says, thank you, Jesus, for giving me this man who tests my patience daily. Thank you, God, for giving my wife patience. But you understand, you've done it or been around someone who's done it to you. The light turns on in a dark room, and what does it do? It hurts your eyes. My friends, do we think it's going to be any different when the light shines in a world that's in darkness? It's offensive. The light is offensive when you're in the dark. Let's not be surprised about that. They killed Jesus. They killed Jesus. How will it be different for us? It hurts your eyes. This is what it's like when our light shines before all men. Though some, God will draw to that light. Some will see that light and say, that's what I've been looking for. But others will hide and screech at the sight of the light because they are in the darkness and they love it. And they don't want to be disturbed. To live in a manner acceptable to the darkness would be to put your lamp under a shade or to lower the level of the light or to altogether put it out. But that's not what we're called to do. But to keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Also notice that he doesn't say keep your honor or keep your conduct acceptable in the Gentiles' sight. You know what the difference would be there? Is that we are living in such a way that the world looks on and says, boy, that's how you do it. That's how you really love people. That's how to be Christ-like. Are we to really take the wisdom of how to be Christ-like from a world that does not know Christ? Of course not. This is referring here to moral excellence. As a matter of fact, the NASB translates this to say, Quote, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, end quote. Philippians 2.15, I think, is helpful here because Paul says it this way, quote, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, end quote. He doesn't say, make sure that you are pleasing in the eyes of the Gentiles but you are pleasing 
in the eyes of God. We are to live blameless and innocent lives, walking according to the Spirit, abstaining from the passions of the flesh. Will you be perfect? No, of course not. You Christians think you don't sin. No, we don't. We know we do. That's why we need Jesus. This is why we go to church. This is why we pray. This is why we read our Bible. It's because we sin and we don't want to anymore. But you certainly can live in such a way where your lifestyle fits right in in the world. But what we should do is live in such a way that if people are going to speak evil of you, which, guess what? They will. Then they have to make things up. Look at what he says. When they speak against you as evildoers, but notice the contradiction, that they will see your good deeds. Your, honor, your conduct is honorable, but they're going to speak against you as evildoers, but keep your conduct honorable so that they can see your good deeds. Even still, we're going to be slandered by the world. MacArthur notes here in his commentary, quote, In the first century, the label evildoers brought to mind many of the specific accusations that pagans made against Christians, that they rebelled against the Roman government, practiced cannibalism, engaged in incest, engaged in subversive activities that threatened the empire's economic and social progress, opposed slavery, and practiced atheism by not worshiping Caesar or the Roman gods, end quote. None of those things are true, obviously, of a person who's living on the narrow road, becoming more like Christ. And just in the same way, pastors are arrested for supposedly subverting the government. They were saying slanderous, untrue things to defame the character of these Christians. And it is not any different today. These pastors were going to jail as criminals. Spending, one of them at least, spent a couple of months in jail. Could you imagine that? My friends, that's not in some third world country. That's in Canada. Just across the border to the north. The song that I spoke of earlier paints those who have conservative views as intolerant and bigoted and hateful. You ever heard that before? You Christians are so intolerant and you're bigots and you're hateful. Surely this is a sentiment that's held by many today. So they're saying these things. They're speaking against Christians as evildoers. But God forbid that their accusations actually carry some truth because guess, that, guess what? There are indeed people who call themselves Christians who do engage in criminal activity of various proportions who are indeed hateful and are bigoted towards various types of people. There are people who wear the label of Christian who do indeed fit that moniker. Let that not be you or I. He says, let them call you an evildoer. Don't be one. Let them see your good deeds. We can clearly see Peter is saying that we can't let those slanderous accusations have any shred of truth. The world will speak evil of us because the darkness hates the light. But our lives must be lived in such a way so that their accusations are empty, if not altogether made up. 
What did Paul write to Timothy? 2 Timothy 3.12 Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I say this because I love you. That if you find very little opposition from the world in your life, from people who are lost in sin and dead in sin, if the world tells you things like, you're not like those other judgy Christians who are always trying to tell me the gospel or to go to church. You accept me and my lifestyle just as I am. My friend, that's not a compliment. Those kinds of things should be a terrifying warning to us that we're not living as sojourners and exiles, that we're not keeping our conduct among the Gentiles honorable, we're living in a manner that's acceptable to a world that's lost in sin. Let that not be us. After all, no, we don't want to be known as judgmental. No, we don't want to be hateful people. But we do want to plead with lost sinners that they may turn from their sin to the cross. My friend, have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? then don't you want other people to taste that too? In order to tell people of this Christ, you will offend people. Everything in the Christian life, the Christian life itself, is for a profound purpose. Peter writes that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I once heard of a man who lived so zealously for the Lord that an acquaintance approached him and said, because you believe, I believe. With your life, you can display the all-surpassing value of Christ Jesus. When people see you live in a manner in which God is honored, it might be what God uses to bring them into saving faith. With our mouths, we proclaim the excellencies of him who brought us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And when our lives match what our mouths say, God is glorified as his power is clearly seen in our changed life. Let's stand. Jesus Christ is the Word become flesh. He is God incarnate. He took on a flesh, a body just like ours. He walked a perfect, blameless life. The life that you were supposed to live but can't. The life that I wish I could live but I never will. He did that so that he could go to the cross and bear your sin all of your wickedness and your rebellion against him, he bore it on the cross. God the Father looked at his son as though he was you, so that when you put your faith in Christ Jesus, when you call upon him as Lord and repent of your sins, he will look at you as though you were his son. Your slate of sin will be wiped clean, and you will stand justified in the eyes of Almighty God. If you will call upon our Savior today and put your faith in him. 
This world is hostile against Christians, against Scripture, against our God. But it is for the purpose of proclaiming Christ and living unto his glory that we have been saved. We once were not a people, but now we are the people of God. He has seen it fit to providentially place us exactly where we are, that we might proclaim the gospel as we lead gospel-empowered lives in front of the world in which we are sojourners and exiles. May we do so for the glory of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for clearly laying out for us what it is that you expect of us in this life. And we don't have to walk around trying to just give it our best guess and our best effort, Lord, because we would get it wrong every single time. But thank you so much for leaving us your word and sending us the helper who will guide us into all truth. Lord, I pray this morning that you are stirring in hearts, that you would convict us in places where perhaps we have not been abstaining from the passions of the flesh. Lord, that as we enter into this time of song, that we would confess that before you, that we would leave those things here behind, and that we would hear loud and clear the promise of Romans 8, chapter 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, that we would leave behind those feelings of guilt and shame and condemnation, for Christ has borne our sin and our wrath, and we are made alive in you in him. Please guide us and help us to live this out this week unto the glory of Christ. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.